The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Ironically, it happened on a night that he had trouble sleeping. A middle-aged king with a graying beard, maybe the thinning hair, the protruding gut, started to fall asleep, spiritually speaking. His eyes were becoming drowsy and so heavy. And you know what it's like where you're just like so warm and you can barely keep your eyes awake and your head just starts to bob and nod. Before he knew it, he was out like a light. And so it happened that when he peered over the roof of his house with those insomnia-plagued eyes and he caught the sight of another man's wife, he did not have the spiritual wherewithal, the, the resilience to turn away. He was not alert enough to see the big gaping hole, the temptation that Satan had set for him, and he went, whoop, right on in. And from then, you know the story, it, it gets so sordid because he, he takes the wife of the man who is not only a faithful soldier of his, but one of his personal bodyguards, faithfully devoted to King David. And then, of course, he covers up his sin with lies and finally murders this man who has been nothing but good to him. A 20 or 30 minute nap is one of the best things that you can have for your body. They say that. Science has determined that, that taking 20 to 30 minutes when you feel really tired rather than drinking that, that next cup of coffee or that, or that, uh, uh, that Red Bull, Take that 20 or 30 minute nap if you can because you will boost your productivity, you will enhance your memory, you will improve your health, your cognition, you'll even be more creative. And of course you're going to feel less tired. Spiritually speaking, however, not so much. See, spiritually speaking and in the Bible, oftentimes dozing off and napping are, are signs of spiritual carelessness where you're not taking care of the most important thing, and that is your soul. And, and so what can happen is very easily what can happen and what did happen to King David, a mangled car wreck of the soul. He fell asleep behind the wheel of his heart, and there he was, smashed up. And last week we had that vivid image in our sermon of that mangled car on the side of the road, and you can hear the, the sirens blaring and the lights flashing, and all of the rubberneckers on the other side of the freeway or the highway are looking over. And just think that if we are not careful, that wreck could be you. And it could be me. This is Holy Week. Man, if there is ever a time to be alert and alive, and I mean spiritually just focused and fully attentive, on, on the drama that is unfolding 
as the Lord Jesus rides side saddle on the back of a lonely donkey in lowly pomp, riding on, riding on to die for you and for me. If there is ever a week and a moment in our life when we just absolutely need to be spiritually awake and alert and watchful and prayerful, it is now. It is now. My question, where can we go? Where can we go to get the spiritual rest that we need that's going to rejuvenate our hearts at the very beginning of this amazing week that we're facing before us. It is an amazing week that we have before us. I mean, I want you to feel the, the momentousness of this. Who knows? It might be the last week you ever live in this world, but my goodness, we are going to see the Lord Jesus win our soul salvation. Wow. Where can we go to get that rejuvenating rest? I, I can think of only one place and it would, it would otherwise be just this perfect place for a nap. But on this night, at this time, we are going to watch the Lord Jesus engage this epic struggle that we have been watching him for these last six weeks. And it is going to come to a whole new level. Ready? Come with me to Gethsemane. Don't sleep on me right now, okay? I'm counting on you. Don't sleep on me. Ready? Open up your worship folders, please. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if the possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba! Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Embarrassing. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Can you feel the bucket of cold water splash over the face of your heart and soul? If there is anything in this whole wide world, if, if there is one scene and one image that can be placed on our minds to keep us alert and alive spiritually, praying for all kinds of things, but praying especially for this one thing, that we not fall into the temptation to fail Jesus and then fall into the temptation to despair when and if we do. Do you see 
Do you see this, this amazing scene and what a jarring, almost frightening thing we have before us to keep our souls alive and awake? We are seeing something here that we don't even see on Good Friday. Did you know that? We are seeing something here that is not seen anywhere else in the entire Bible. The physical and the emotional suffering of God's one and only Son in the flesh. It is not on Golgotha, but here at Gate Shemani, the garden of the oil press, where we hear Jesus cry out something that, that really almost rings nonsensical. Overwhelmed. This is God in the flesh, and it's too much even for him. I am overwhelmed with sorrow, and it's killing me. And I could die right now. It is, it is not on the cruel cross, but in the cool garden, where, where we see the creator of the world leaning on his creation for emotional support. Did you catch that? Peter, James, and John, stay here and keep watch. And Matthew adds, watch with me this one bitter hour. It is not on Calvary where his back is against the ground, his arms spread out over that wood, and the nails piercing his hands, contorting his fingers, but it is here in Gethsemane with his face to the ground, where he's clutching dirt until it seeps through his fingers, where we hear a cry that is not cried anywhere, an address that is not heard anywhere else in all of the Bible recorded here. Jesus crying out in Aramaic, Abba, Father, please, please, you can do anything. You can do anything. If there is another way, and find that other way, please take this cup from me. This is jarring. This is terrifying. How could, how could anybody ever fall asleep to this? What, what is it? What is unraveling the Son of God? It is one thing. The theme and the thrust of all of the Lenten season, the theme and the thrust of the Christian life, the cross, the looming, shadowing, coming cross of bearing the guilt of planet Earth and suffering hell on that cross to redeem the world. That is what is undoing him. And this is always the thing. Jesus must bear his cross, but so must everyone who follows him. Is there any more reason that you have to stay awake and alert and alive, focused on Jesus, on the gospel, pinning your eyes on him and praying like the Dickens? Father, please lead me not into temptation. Right? This, this scene that we have before us, however, is, 
it's amazing in so many ways, but, but here's another way in which it's amazing. I want you to think, I want you to think about an, an inverse trajectory. I want you to think about two groups of people that are going in the complete opposite direction. Ready? Here we see it so stark and so amazing. You have Jesus on the one hand, and he is on this, this one trajectory, this epic struggle to win our soul's salvation. And, and he is wrestling, and he is fighting actually with himself. It, it is this, it's a holy desire. There's nothing wrong for a holy person to not want to be stained by the sin of the whole world and pay for it all. And, and it just shows what, how powerful that is, how, how amazing and how just awesome a thing that, that, that is taking place in there, right? There's nothing wrong with him. He's fighting to not want to die on the one hand, but on the other hand, he looks at you sitting here today and, and he can't help himself. He says, I love them so much. I want to save them. I need to save them. And he's wrestling and he's praying and praying and praying for the strength to go through with what has been planned for all eternity, right? This is stunning. And then you go stones throw away. 50 feet? 100 feet? What do you see there? Now, now I want you to think about this. Here are these men who have far more reason to watch and pray, even than Jesus, because you know what? He doesn't have a sinful nature. He's that strong. Watch and pray. They have a sinful nature. How much more need do they have to keep praying against the very thing that's warring inside of them, pulling them away from God, right? So they have greater need even to watch and pray than even the Lord Jesus would at this moment. They have been given an honor that has never been given in the history of the world and that will never be given again to any single human being, ever, ever, ever. This is the honor. You get to offer your God emotional support when he needs it the most. You get to be there for him in his hour of need. Whoever would, I mean, just having, just being chosen for that. Holy mackerel. How on earth could you ever sleep to that? Right? Right? I don't care how full your belly, how many glasses of wine you've had earlier that night, and you've had a few. But the biggest difference between Jesus and his disciples, the starkest 180-degree inverse curve, inverse trajectory, is not between Jesus and his disciples on that night, but between him and you and me on this day. Don't we have even more reason than the disciples to watch and pray? I mean, not only do we have the same sinful hearts, the same sinful nature that pulls us away from, from our Lord that they did, we certainly have that. But, but we have something that they don't, an advantage that's spectacular. We have been given Holy Spirit-inspired eyes, and we live on this point of human history where we can look back and we can see it all unfold. And what I mean is this. You and I know exactly why Jesus is struggling and suffering so much, because he is about to bear my sin right? We know this. We know how all of this, this immediate history of the disciples turned out because they didn't watch and pray, because they fell asleep. They suffered the cross that was sure to come, but they suffered, suffered more than they had to because they suffered the cross without the strength 
and without the comfort that would come when you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. See, everybody in this world has to suffer. You and I have to suffer. How, how, the question is, how are we going to suffer? Are we going to suffer well, or are we going to suffer poorly? You suffer well by focusing on the cross of Christ, by praying. You will suffer with strength. If you do not, if you nap, you will suffer, and then you'll suffer poorly. We know that. And yet, these eyes go to sleep. See, sometimes I take my focus off of Jesus, and I watch, I watch, and I watch like a hawk. My pleasures and my problems. All of those, ooh, I want that, all along the Pinterest boards, and oh, woe is me, and, and you know what else we watch like a hawk to the point of almost embarrassment? Me. Can't, can't she think of me? What, what are they thinking of me? They're so selfish. They can't think of anything else and anybody else. Like maybe, like, I don't know, maybe me? Can't you keep watch? Just one. What are we to say to Jesus on the days like today? I have no words, Savior. Forgive me, please. And, oh, just thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for clip-clopping down that Mount of Olives to go mount across on Calvary. And you know, as, as, as is always the case, I mean as is always the case, Jesus is the beautiful Savior that he was born to be, that he rides into Jerusalem to be, because at this very moment, he gives us the one thing that we need more, more than the air that we're breathing right now. He gives us this, this steely posturpedic bed, a divine bed from God himself, where he gives us this beautiful, amazing, rejuvenating rest to carry us on through Holy Week and for the rest of our life. And you know what that is? You know what that, that posturpedic is? It is this stunning you can't take your eyes off of it, tireless love of God. And I want you to see that love of God for you here just shining like the bright noonday sun, keeping you alert and alive. Think about this. Almost put yourself in the father's shoes. So, so you are a parent. You are the father of your one and only son. And there he is in utter anguish, groveling and pleading with you from the very pit of his heart, Father, if there is another way, please help me. I mean, if my daughters, any one of them, just cried out from the gut, Daddy, help me, please. I, can't, I couldn't contain my, Who could contain himself for that, right? So, so he, he sees this, and then, and then he looks over a stone's throw away, and, and then he looks over into the future, over Queens, New York, and, and he hears the snores. And if you are God the Father and Jesus is praying for you to please find another way, what do you say? Right? I mean, what is the only logical thing, sensible thing to say to your only son who's pleading for you to find another way? You say, absolutely, my son, there is another way. You let them pay for their own sins as is only just and as is only right. And what is more, as they are going to sleep away in indifference and carelessness and not even consider what a price you are paying for them. But that is not what he says. What is the answer to Jesus' prayer? 
my son, there is no other way. You see, I love them. I love them even more than I love having you in uninterrupted glory forever. And so you must go to the cross. And I will not take it away, my son. What I will do is I will give you and send you my angel to give you even more strength to bear the suffering and to accomplish what you were born to accomplish. Because I love them. And then just look at the son's love for you and for me, right? I mean, here, here is the son, and he sees our own indifference. He sees it all. But, but he is not deterred by our weakness, not even one little bit. Because in the middle of all that snoring, there sings, he sings this sweet lullaby. It's like a melody that, that rises up and that warms and that gives peace and rest to our heart. Father, yet not what I will, but what you will. In other words, Father... I love them too. And even though they sleep away in indifference, even though sometimes they get lazy with their faith, I beg you, let me go and redeem them. And if the cross is the only way, then I gladly embrace it so long as their debt is paid in full, so long as their ransom is complete and sure forever and forever, so long as they are with me. And then it gets even more beautiful, even more stunning, even more just amazing and jaw-dropping. And wow! Because not only is Jesus not deterred, he's determined. He's excited for the cross. After he comes to them the third time, what does Jesus do? Look at your folder. What does he do? He either asks, kind of a cutting question, right? It either is, Father, or are you still sleeping? Are you guys still sleeping? Or it could be also, it could be also translated as a little bit of a, of a sharp barbed sarcasm, but, but always meant in love. Oh, go ahead and keep sleeping. In either case, it is a call with the intention and the purpose and the power to lead them to repent. And then, when his mind's eye sees Judas coming, leading the mob, all of those torches, all of those soldiers, what does he say? Let's go. We can't miss this bus. I got to get on it. Because I have to go and redeem those people. I have to go and cleanse them of their weakness. I just must have them with me in heaven. This is my joy. They're, they are my crown. The hour has come. The hour has come to say goodbye to a beloved church family. Man, are we going to miss you guys. But the tears of sadness and of separation, they will be dried, and they will be tempered by real gladness, by real joy. Because the hour came, and the Son of God embraced it. Now there is only one thing left for all of us. Watch it. Watch him go. Watch your hero go forward. Watch him go and fight for you. Watch him on Maundy Thursday. Watch him love you to the very end, the very tippy top of the love of God that is boundless and that has no limit. Watch the Son of God on Good Friday squash the devil's head as he cries out in agony but in triumph. It is finished. All sin is finished. All guilt is finished. Your sin, your guilt, your death, your hell, it is all finished, finished, finished. 
you are mine. And then rest so sweetly in that peace and wake up refreshed, wake up energized, wake up ready to come here on Easter Sunday and shout something that you have not shouted now in almost six weeks. You've been fasting and you are hungry. Alleluia. Amen. Amen.